today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. confession and repentance. Confession does absolutely nothing if there's not repentance along with it. And we can't really have true repentance unless we know and understand the truth of our sin and we're willing to confess that sin. Again, you don't understand fully the need for repentance until that true confession of our sin is declared. The promise of God's restoration, that fulfillment of his call in the lives of of his people comes to those that are willing to follow him in obedience. Have you ever had a friend, a sibling, or a child tell you that they were sorry just to turn around and repeat that same action against you once again? It's rather easy to confess our sins and say we are sorry for them, but the hard part comes with true repentance. God calls us not only to confess our sins, but to repent from them as well. For confession without repentance changes nothing. God gives you many chances to repent from your sin, listen, and obey them, so that you might follow Him into eternity. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Joel chapter 1 as he continues his message, Judgment and Hope. The day of the Lord, or that day. That's a phrase that you see all throughout the book of Joel. The day of the Lord, or that day. Because again, God has appointed, God has a time schedule. God has, in the great knowledge that he has of, of all things, he has a day, he has a line. He has, he has that line, I believe, that's drawn in the sand. And he says, you know what? You go to that point, and that's it. Or there's a particular time that says, if you don't turn back by that time, that's going to be it. We know in the great end of things, there is that great day. But what about the judgment? How long can you, let me ask you, how long can you deny the direction and the call and the purpose of God in your life before God brings judgment on you? You know, the unfortunate reality is, is most believers say, Well, at least one more time, at least one more time, the nation of Israel lived their life with that kind of an attitude. We could, as as long as we go through the motions, as long as we go through the rituals, God now did away with the rituals because he did away with the wine and the oil. They, They couldn't even do that. There's no doubt that the calamity that's going on here was meant to direct them to the Lord, to get their attention. If it didn't get their attention, then we know that the Lord was going to bring an even greater wake-up call to them. He gives them a a warning signal, an an alarm. Look what he says in chapter 2, beginning in chapter 2, the very first verse. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. 
for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So he says, man, judgment is right here. Judgment is right here. That's the second time this phrase is used. Verse two, a a day of darkness and, and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Now there is a clue right here in what Joel is saying. Just like in many prophetic messages, there was going to be a fulfillment of these words within a close range in, in the life of Judah. We know the Babylonians you know, would come and they would take them captive. But even before the Babylonians came, man, they, they, they faced battles from others. God kept trying to get their attention until finally the Babylonians took them into exile. And so that's a fulfillment of Joel. But you know what? There, there was a greater fulfillment even beyond the Babylonians. You, you remember in 72 AD when the Romans uh, just totally wiped out all of Israel, destroyed the temple, destroyed the land, scattered the people all over the world. A greater fulfillment even than the one, again, of the Babylonian captivity. But you know what? There's going to be even greater fulfillment, isn't there? And it's in that last day when God says, okay, the end of all things is now at hand. The army that Joel describes here is is, is pretty big. He says, this is an army of people that are coming great and strong that like they've never been, nor will there be any such after them, even for many generations. But what about many, many generations? He, he doesn't say they'll never, ever be one like them. Look at what he says here. A, a fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them, but behind them it, it's a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break rank. They, they do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter into the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. Wow, that's an intense army. Now, I've seen some various movies in my days of these massive you know, armies of the Middle East that are coming in. I don't believe that you know, even the theatrically or cinematically, they can really bring to point what's happening here. I mean, it's, it's a great picture of the Babylonians because the Babylonians would come just like that in these great rows of, of forces, strong and, and just vicious and vile as they came in. And then we look at the Romans there in uh, 72 AD and, and they came in marching, man, everybody in form and fashion. The Romans were just a great and powerful force. And I can, I can see this as being a fulfillment of this also. But I believe also perhaps in those last days, in the very last days, we're gonna see some major armies that are coming in just like that. Again, we're reminded that even in this, it's the Lord's doing. What does it say in verse 11? For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who's going to endure it? So that call for repentance is made. He tells him, send out another signal, a signal to come and to worship. Verse 15, 
blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out of his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. In other words, you're just about to say your vows. He says, forget it, man. You don't have time to say your vows before you even make your vows. Come on to this sacred assembly. Verse 17, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? You know, we see that little phrase or that concept actually through many of the prophetic messages. Lord, don't, don't let them destroy your people. Otherwise, the nations are going to, to mock you and, and, and blaspheme you. He said that that was his people, that he was their God, and now look at them. I think that's a, a real deal that they're crying out there. Because verse 18 says, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. And I love how it says that. It's not that the Lord is zealous for the land and the people. He says, no, he is zealous for his land and his people. The promise of deliverance now comes really from the Lord when the people get to that point of confession and repentance. And beloved, you and I need to realize in our own lives, it's not just confession, but it's confession and repentance. Confession does absolutely nothing if there's not repentance along with it. And we can't really have true repentance unless we know and understand the truth of our sin and we're willing to confess that sin. Again, you don't understand fully the need for repentance until that true confession of our sin is declared. The promise of God's restoration, that fulfillment of his call in the lives of of his people, comes to those that are willing to follow him in obedience. Verse 19, I'm going to skip through or skip along several verses here. Look with me quickly, but in verse 19 it says, the Lord will answer. He'll send new grain and new wine and oil. Verse 20 says, he'll remove the northern army far from you. Verse 21 says, fear not, O land, but be glad and rejoice. Verse 22, do not be afraid. Verse 23, be glad then, rejoice in the Lord your God. He's given you the former rain faithfully and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Down in verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army will which which I sent among you. Yeah, God is willing to send peril, calamity, tough times into our lives to get our attention. And some of us who are just a little bit thicker-headed more scales on our heart because we haven't listened to the Spirit because of his great love, because of his great love. One more quick story about my brothers and I, my older brother. He was only two years older than me, but we were totally different personalities. 
He would get in trouble all the time, but I wouldn't. It wasn't because I was so good. It's because I was sneaky, okay? And, and his sin was just wide open for everybody to see. He would get in trouble, and this was back in the ancient days, and you cannot uh, you know, put my parents in, child, in prison for child abuse, but uh, uh, it was back in the days when we would actually get whippings, okay, uh, with a belt, yes. And my brother was, was so stubborn and strong-willed that my dad would whip him, and he wouldn't cry. He wouldn't cry. And so my dad said, okay, he'd whip him a little bit more. And my brother, just as strong as he could be, he wouldn't cry, he wouldn't cry. And my dad would whip him more and whip him more until finally, I, I don't know if my dad wore out or, or what, you know, they would finally end. I consider myself more intelligent than my older brother. <laughs> he would send me to my room, I would start crying. One whack on the belt, and I was done, I was done, you know. But I think about that when I think about Israel. How many times do they need to go to the woodshed before they understand? Number one, God loves them and he desires the best for them, but they keep doing it on their own strength and in their own ability and going their own direction. And God says, no, that's not where you ought to be. And so he brings calamity, the great army which I sent you. Those things that we feel uh, again, that we lose because of our disobedience, those things that have been taken from us because, man, an attack of the enemy in our lives. God says, actually, he'll, he'll, once we repent, once we confess and repent and turn back to him, that he'll restore. He says in verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And you'll praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Really guys, do you see the heart of God for his stiff-necked, rebellious people? And that's the same heart he has for this stiff-necked, rebellious people. For his people, he loves. Even knowing all of their past failures, God is desiring to fulfill his plan, to fulfill his purpose in them, to restore them, to bless them, and to make them, the nation of Israel, a message to the rest of the world. Not of God's judgment, but of God's grace. And his mercy. If God wanted them to be a message of his judgment, he would have wiped them out long, long before this. And it would have been the kind of thing, God says, you go back on me, I'll destroy you. But that's not the message that God gives. It's not the message he gives you and I. His message is that he's long-suffering and gracious and merciful. It's in the day of God's blessing he says that he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. 
we remember the words we're gonna look at. We remember actually from uh, Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit came down, baptized the church, the church was born. They spoke in other tongues. They, the outsiders, the, the people on the street thought that they were drunk and said, man, these guys are drunk already in this day. And Peter stood up and said, no, no, they're not drunk, man. It's too early in the morning. It's too early. You know, no, these guys... Man, it's the Spirit of God. Look what Joel writes here in verse 28. It shall come to pass afterwards, after this time of repentance and returning back to the Lord, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days." Peter said, this is what the prophet Joel said was going to happen. This is happening right before you right now. It's a message not only to those that would repent and come by faith, but it's also the message to the unbeliever that, yes, even with God's grace, but there's still going to be judgment. If God is faithful in his blessings to promise, beloved, we have to know, we have to understand that God is also faithful in that warning of coming judgment. But he says in verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now that's the fourth time he's used that phrase. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't need to be a Jew. You don't need to be this or that. He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. In chapter three, we actually move to the point in the days, I believe just prior to the beginning of that millennial reign of Christ on the earth and the beginning of that final judgment. Look what he says, Joel chapter three in verse one. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into the judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Now that valley of Jehoshaphat, it's only mentioned here and also down in verse 12. And then in verse 14, there's a mention of the valley of decision. If all three of these are the same valley, uh, it, uh, again, it could be the name of some obscure valley of that time, which I believe is doubtful. It could be maybe the the valley that's formed during that division of the Mount of Olives when Christ stands on the Mount of Olives. Or I believe better yet, the possibility is that it's known by another name, the Valley of Judgment or Armageddon. Now, if it's the Valley of Armageddon, then the words of Revelation 16 come into play. Turn there real quick. You ought to be able to find that. That's just before Concordance, the book of Concordance. Chapter 16, and go to verse 13. I'm gonna go ahead and read, you can catch up. Revelation 16, beginning at verse 13. John writes, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
Verse 15, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Well, I believe here in Joel 3, down in verses 14 through 16, it speaks of that gathering. It speaks of that judgment. I believe that that's here. What we see here is this battle against the nations of, actually, in uh, Revelation 19. And I believe then he's going to be speaking about the time of the binding of Satan for a thousand years, that time of peace. That's found in chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. It's during the thousand-year reign, while Satan is bound, that we see a time of peace and safety, not only in Israel, but around the world. And again, this is the time that the Lord Jesus comes. He's reigning as an earthly monarch, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses four, five, and six. This, I believe, is a vision that Joel sees in Joel 3, verse 17 through verse 20. If you're still in Joel, if you lost it, you, you can find it later. Joel writes, So you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Israel shall be holy and no alien shall ever pass through her again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk. All the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and the water of the valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah for they have shed innocent blood in their land and Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation and I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted for the Lord dwells in Zion. At the end of that thousand year reign, according to the book of Revelation, Satan is released for that short period of time. And he's given that opportunity to deceive the nations once more. That's in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. Following then that final great day of judgment, that great day of the Lord, even as Joel has built upon, we find that great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. We don't have time to go through it tonight. But it's after that that we'll see the end of all things on this world. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and that's what we see in chapter 21 of Revelation, verses one through five, and I'm gonna end with that. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death and no sorrow and no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm talking about. And I think that's what Joel is trying to encourage the people of Israel. Man, confess your sin, 
repent, get back, and receive the blessing of God as He pours His Spirit out upon you. And you know what? That's the message that Joel gives to you and I tonight, Joel. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.